were invited some years ago now, our first contact with this church was when Jamie actually invited us to come and do a weekend away for you at Ashburn. Yeah. Yeah. Quite some while ago now. I mean, I can't remember how many years ago. It must have been seven or eight years ago. Yeah? Six, six years. Six years ago. Okay. And uh, we had, an ex- we had a, a really encouraging time. And then we come in this morning. This is our next contact with you as a church. And I have to say, things have changed a little bit in the last six years. And uh, it's almost unrecognisable in terms of just kind of the sense of God here among you and just the way that you are going for it is extraordinary. And it's down to these guys, really, and, um, you know, just your willingness to kind of follow where they were going at great cost, I would imagine, in some, in some ways, really, because there were looking some people who couldn't, couldn't cope with it. But you've pursued God and you've found Him. And he's, he's here. I want to speak this morning. I want to speak this morning. I, I was thinking about what to kind of share with you, and Jamie asked me to share on Friday night about some Welsh revival stories, and I'm a bit of a, re- a revival historian. And um, I'm retired now, but I spent most of my time finding out about and visiting places in my country of Wales that have been powerfully visited by God in the past and recording something of what has gone on. And I do a blog. I'm working towards a book at some point, hopefully. And I do a blog about kind of what God has done in my country in the past. And uh, so I shared a bit on... um, I I was asked to share a bit about Welsh Revival on Friday... And then I, I felt really to kind of bring something that's been stirring with me a little bit today, um, a, st- a totally different thing. This is more a preach than last Friday. was more like a lecture, really. Today is a preach, really, out of the Word of God. But I felt actually, and I'm going to look at the story of the road to Emmaus this morning out of the Gospel of Luke. And I thought, well, you know, where's the connection between these two? And immediately God... I got this phrase from God, the pursuit of God, just came to me, the pursuit of God. And in a sense, on Friday, what, what I was talking about was how men moved by the Spirit pursued God and found him so that he came and by his Spirit he fell on a nation and transformed it. And there was such a measure of his power and blessing coming upon that nation of Wales that it overflowed and it reached nations on every single inhabited continent on the face of planet Earth. Because there were men and women who gave themselves to pursue God. So that was Friday. And, um, and in a sense, really, this morning I felt, well, yes, it is also the pursuit of God, but this morning it's kind of as if The boot is on the other foot kind of thing. And it's about the way that God pursues us. Yeah? And uh, and it's an amazing, amazing story. And at the worship time this morning, when we we saw that picture of the lion and the lamb, I, I I just had a moment of kind of revelation, really, about what I'm going to say this morning. And it seems to me, when we're looking at the story of the road to Emmaus, which is a story from Luke which happens on the very day that Jesus has been raised from the dead. It's the day of resurrection. It's 
maybe that afternoon, you know, it is later that day. And it struck me that actually this is the very moment in which the lamb becomes the lion. Mm -hmm. This day is the moment that the lamb becomes the lion. And the lion, Jesus, is suddenly in a position where he's overcome the enemy. He's defeated sin, he's defeated death, he's defeated Satan. And he is now resurrected in a position where he can go in the pursuit of those who belong to him, whose names are written on the palms of the Father's hand. And we see this beginning in this story, this pursuit of God, of those who belong to him. We see it beginning to happen in this wonderful, wonderful story in the Gospel of Luke. Yeah? God's pursuit of of us. When when we've lost something, we hunt high and low to find it, don't we? Yeah? I'm I'm always losing things. I mean, I'm... Talk to Hazel, she'll tell me... She'll tell me some horror stories about my passion for books... All right, and I, my house is full of books. A lot of them are books about revival, or you know, the history of Wales, and what you know, biographies of great leaders in Wales. Some of them I can't even read because they're in Welsh, <laughs> and I have to read them with a dictionary in one hand. And every now and then I've got to try and find a particular book, and I can't remember exactly where it is. And I have to go through literally thousands of books and they're piled up on my shelves too deep. You know, so there's one row of books at the back of the shelf and there's another row of books at the front. So I have to go through taking all the front row off in order to find a book that might be hiding behind at the back of the shelf. Sometimes I don't succeed and I end up having to buy another copy of a book I've already got. (laughs) Crazy. And we, we live in a similar sort of place t- to you. You know, we live, we live in a terraced house near the middle of Cardiff, right in the city. And sometimes, you know, there's houses that are divided into multiple occupancy. You know, there's several flats in a house, and each flat has got two people living in it. Sometimes they've got a car each. So that causes a nightmare for parking on the streets. And sometimes you have to park... Miles, well, not miles away, but, you know, sometimes I have to park the car kind of half a mile away from the house. And then the next morning, I've got to remember, where on earth did I put my car? Where was it? And I have to go in pursuit of my car if I don't try and find it. And sometimes it takes me a very long time and we end up being late wherever we're going because I can't find my car. But God knows exactly where each of one of us is. He hasn't got to go and kind of try, where on earth did they get to? (laughs) He knows. He knows where we are. And uh, there are times when we get into situations where we actually find that the situations in life cause us problems and issues, yeah? Mm. And we can get discouraged and depressed and uh, despondent about the things that happen. And we can kind of lose our sense of direct contact with the God who loves us. And we put up little walls and barriers to hide away, in a sense, from him. Because somehow we just don't, we've got to a point, because of the things that are happening in our lives, where we don't quite trust him in the way that enables us to be completely open-hearted before him. Yeah? And we hide ourselves away, you know, a bit like a book kind of on the back shelf, or a car that's parked three streets away, or something. But he knows where we are. 
Yeah? There's that wonderful psalm, isn't there? I'll get started on the passage in a minute. There's that wonderful psalm, 139, you know? You know, where can I go from your presence? You know, I won't read it because, uh, you know, I'll run out of time otherwise. What time have I got to finish? I'll pass 12, did you say? Quarter past twelve. Quarter past twelve. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, but you know the psalm. You know this amazing psalm about the fact that we can't hide from God. He knows where we are. He knows where to find us. And this story. Uh, I, I, well, before I before I actually read it, how many of you are, have got no people? They might be close friends of yours. They might be members of your family. They might be your children. They might be your partners. I don't know who actually at one point were. You know, they knew God, they walked with him, but things have happened for them, and actually now they're, they're not here. You know, they've, they've become hidden away from God because of stuff that's happened in their lives, yeah? That, that's something that we know something about, and I, I don't particularly want to kind of go into it into, in any detail this morning, but we know the experience of that as a Hazel and I in terms of our own family, yeah? But God knows where they are. Yeah, he who is. He says in the scriptures, in Philippians one verse six, I think it is. He who has begun a good work in you will see it to completion mm. at the day of Jesus Amen. Christ. Amen. Yeah, and Jesus is one who will seek after. He's the lion now, who's coming in pursuit of the enemy, who's robbed his people of the knowledge of the love of God and the direct experience of Him, and He's coming for them to release them, to find them, to set them free, to bring them back into a place where they can stand face to face with him as his dearly blood-bought children and know the love of God for themselves. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And it's sometimes it's just a matter of the right time. The timing of God. God knows the perfect time when to come in. When that heart will respond to his cry again when it comes back to him. And in this story of the road to Emmaus, we see exactly this process happening for the very first time. The resurrected saviour, in pursuit of those that belong to him, who walked away from Jerusalem, and we'll look at the reasons why they're walking away from Jerusalem in a minute, because I think there's, I think there's evidence here why. They're, they're, they're struggling, you see, and, and they've allowed themselves to become separated from the others and from the knowledge of God. And they're struggling. But Jesus knows, and he is in pursuit, because he is going to bring them back to that place where they're in fellowship with them again. That's what the Road to Emmaus story is all about. It's about lost treasure being found again and being brought back into the king's possession. So let's have a look at the story. Half an hour. Okay. So this is Luke 24. Okay, and behold, two, verse 13, Luke 24, verse 13. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about these things which had taken place. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began travelling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognising him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another while you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. There's an important clue as to where their hearts are. Yeah, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things that have happened here in these days? 
And he said to them, what things? He knows full well, doesn't he? Because he was right in the middle of it all. And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. Now the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all, all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When, uh, when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh foolish men, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses... And with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going. And he acted as though he would go farther. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognised him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, When our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, and while he was explaining the scriptures to us, and they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen. And has appeared to as and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognised by them in the breaking of the bread. It's one of my favourite stories in the New Testament and it's a wonderful, wonderful story. It's the day of resurrection. The women have been to the tomb. They've reported what they've seen and heard back to the disciples. A short while later, two of the disciples leave Jerusalem and head for Emmaus where they live. We're not sure exactly where Emmaus is but it's about seven miles from Jerusalem. These two disciples are not two of the twelve. They're two of the seventy, the wider group of the circle of disciples. They're not member of the core team. One of them we know is Cleopas. His name is mentioned. And there's an unnamed disciple with him. Cleopas is an Aramaic name. It's the same person who's sometimes referred to by a Greek name, uh, and that is Alpheus. So you can read about Alpheus in Matthew 10.3. That is Cleopas. He had two names. One was Aramaic and one was, one was Greek. Yeah? He was the father of several disciples. Yeah? So he was quite close to he was quite close to the twelve, even though he actually wasn't a member of the twelve. He was the father of Matthew. 
the father of James the Less, Simon the Zeller, and Jude. So he, he, four of the disciples were his children. Okay, you can work that out by reading what it says about Alphaeus in the New Testament. I won't go into the detail here. His wife, we know, was called Mary, who was probably the sister-in-law of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So he's related by marriage to Jesus. He's a close member of the family. Yeah? The early church writers confirm all of this in what they say about him. So, which raises the question, who was the other disciple? Well, we don't actually know who the, the identity of the other disciple, and there's been a lot of debate by people who kind of experts in the Bible, theologians, about who that the other who who it was was walking along the road to Emmaus with Cleopas. Some people say it must have been Mary, his wife, because surely Cleopas wouldn't leave Jerusalem to go home to Emmaus where he lived and leave his wife behind in Jerusalem. That's very plausible, isn't it? Other people say, no, we think it's quite likely that this other disciple was none other than Luke who wrote the gospel. Yeah, and you know about John's gospel that John, who wrote John's gospel, doesn't ever refer to himself by name in the gospel, but he refers to himself anonymously as the one whom Jesus loved. Yeah? And so what they say is, this is a similar situation with Luke. Uh, in Luke's Gospel, in this account, which is such a detailed account, it must have been written by somebody who was there, and therefore it's quite likely that the disciple was actually Luke. Yeah, there's a lot of other reasons I could go into, but for the sake of time, I I won't trouble you with them. So there are these two points of view. Now, I'm not going to try and reach a conclusion, because I don't think it is possible to. Yeah? Yeah? There's one interesting little detail, however, that there is a church in Emmaus, and above the door of the church is a mosaic, a very old mosaic of the story of the road to Emmaus. And on that uh, mosaic, one of the two disciples walking along the road with Jesus alongside them is shown as being a woman. Interesting. It's at least possible that this is a married couple rather than two male disciples who are walking along. But we don't actually know. But if it is Mary, then it introduces a rather interesting dynamic into the story. Because Mary would have, would have been one of the witnesses to the empty tomb who had reported back to the disciples. And it's Cleopas who is the one who's struggling, her husband, who's struggling. He's the one who reports in the story about what he thought was going to happen with Jesus. Jesus was going to usher in this new kingdom. He was going to set us free from Roman oppression. He's looking for a political kingdom, even at this point after the crucifixion. That is Cleopas' perspective. And therefore, when Jesus dies on the cross, that brings to an end those dreams for him, and he's struggling. He's struggling with grief. But the loss of the one who he thought was going to bring him liberation, politically and economically and socially. (laughs) Yeah? Not realising that the freedom that Jesus was going to bring was a spiritual one. It was to do with the very nature of his being and his identity as an individual, which would then have ramifications and bring changes in other spheres of life afterwards. Yeah? Yeah? 
And so he's struggling. And then his wife and a couple of other women come back with this story about the empty tomb. And what is going on here? And he cannot cope. This is Cleopas's situation. He cannot cope with the tensions that are involved in Jesus having died, the grief of that. And then this story that these women bring, that they have not seen the empty tomb and met with a risen Jesus, but actually they've met with angels who have told him. You see, it's, there's, a, there's a note of uncertainty there. He's, he's struggling to take hold of what he has actually heard from those who went to the empty tomb. He, he's struggling big time. And if you're anything like me, when you hit a situation where you've got discouraged, disheartened, disappointed and depressed, which is Cleopas's situation here in, in the situation that he's in, he, he decides to retreat into a place of safety. And that's why they're on the road to Emmaus, I believe. He can't cope with the being with the disciples, uh, the broader group of disciples in Jerusalem now. He's on his way home. He's distancing himself in a sense from it while he tries to get his head around what has happened and Mary if it is Mary or Luke if it is Luke or whoever it might be it might not even be either of those two is trying to kind of work with him and they're between them trying to get their heads around what has happened yeah how many of you how many of you know that sometimes when we're struggling with things we have to kind of we pull back we put up the shutters. We build a wall. We protect ourselves by distancing ourselves. And we can do that with Jesus. Even when we've known him and even when we've known his love, we can kind of find a place of safety. And that's what's happened here. How many of you know people, as I said at the beginning, in your own families maybe, and friends who've done that? And that's where they are now. You know, they're... They're protecting themselves the only way they know how because they hit issues that they're struggling with. That's what's going on here. That's exactly what's going on here. And the thing that I find amazing in this story is the way that Jesus utterly and completely prioritises going for the ones that are struggling even before he goes to appear amongst the twelve. Yeah, he's now the risen Lord. He's overcome sin, Satan and death. He's now in a place of victory. He's now the one who is able to set the captive free. And he's going for it as a priority. And that's why these two meet with this stranger on the road. Because the stranger on the road is seeking and saving. Seeking to save that which has been lost. And he's coming for them to bring them back into a place of security and of knowing his love for themselves. That's what this story is about. Yeah? Do you not feel stirred? By the truth of that? Yeah? How many of you have been in that place yourself where you've kind of hidden away from him, but he's broken through the wall that you've put up and he's brought you back to confront the reality of his love for you, his knowledge of your situation and his ability to completely obliterates everything that separates you from him and he's drawn you back in with his love. Yeah? Yeah? It's an amazing story. Oh, we're doing all right for time. I've caught up with myself. (laughs) So the two of them are walking along the road and 
and they're in this place of struggle. And the Greek words, I won't bother you with what they are, but the Greek words that talk about them talking and reasoning together are quite strong words. They mean they were having an intense discussion. They were having a debate or even an argument about the things that they are trying to come to terms with. It's quite a heated situation. And if it's Cleopas with his wife, I'll leave the rest to your imagination. (laughs) Okay. So Cleopas is the one who's struggling. You see, Thomas is not the only one of the disciples who's got doubts and uncertainties. Mm. See, there's another one. I suspect there are probably a few of them who are struggling with what's going on. Yeah, and in Cleopas we hear, as I say, the voice of disappointment, discouragement, disillusionment, as well as doubt. He's unconvinced by the reports he's heard, and he's hidden himself away. I'm, I've got through that already. Oh dear, I'm losing me, losing me, placing me notes now. Okay. All right, and in this story, in the way that I've told it to you, There's an echo of the promise of God that we kind of read about even before the time of the crucifixion. You know, you know the promise that we see in Deuteronomy from God and in Joshua, and it's repeated later in in Hebrews 3 5 I will never leave you or forsake you. God says to about his people, I will never leave you or forsake you. Yeah? And in a sense, really, as Jesus comes and accompanies these two disciples, it is that promise that he is fulfilling. The promise of the Father, I will never leave you or forsake you. And Jesus comes in response to that. And in John 14, Jesus himself says, doesn't he, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And that's, that's what happens here. And it can be our experience too, and the experience of those that we love who once knew what it was to walk intimately with Jesus. Yeah? So Jesus catches up with them. They're engrossed in their discussion. He knows their hearts, but he doesn't want them to, and he doesn't want them to remain in uncertainty, but they don't recognise him. It says even that they are kept from recognising him. Yeah? Jesus probably would have looked exactly the same as he did before, except my guess is there would have been an amazing additional serenity about him because he knows he's overcome. He knows he is now the lion. He knows he's now in the place of victory. I think that would have, that would have made his appearance slightly different from the way that the disciples would have, would, would, have, would have seen him, would have been familiar with him. Yeah, And he addresses directly their need. His first question, why are you so sad? Why are you so sad? The Greek word is a lovely word, actually. I will tell you this Greek word. Okay. Why are you so sad? Why are you so skuthropos? So next time you see a member of this church and they're looking a little bit down in the mouth, you could say to them, why are you looking so skuthropic today? And see if that will cause them to smile a little bit. Yeah? That's the next I'll give you that one for a freebie. Okay. So... Cleopas, amazed that the stranger doesn't know what has been going on in Jerusalem, uh, explains to Jesus. And it's interesting the way Jesus handles this. He doesn't doesn't immediately break in with, Hey guys, can't you see it's me? (laughs) No, he, he doesn't do what probably any one of us would have done. No. What he wants to do is to make sure that at this point he uses this as an opportunity to build 
a really good, strong foundation of truth into these lives. And that's why he does what he does, by going through all of the scriptures and showing how everything in the Old Testament points to this moment of his resurrection day. Yeah? He wants them to understand the truth. It's the truth that sets people free. And that's why Jesus unpacks truth to them in the way that he did. And beginning with Moses, it says, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Did you know the Old Testament? You probably do, I'm sure. The Old Testament is full of stuff about Jesus. Yeah? We read the Old Testament in the light of the New Testament, not the other way around. Yeah, and the reason why there are so many issues and problems with the church today is that in a lot of churches they read the New Testament in the light of the Old Testament. And that causes them to become religious and condemning and legalistic and judgmental. Yeah, it's wrong. It's just, it's looking down the wrong end of the telescope. Yeah, we always read the Old Testament in the light of the New Testament because the Old Testament points to Jesus. Amen. Not the other way around, Yeah. We read the old, if we read the Bible that way around, we live out of grace and out of love and out of acceptance Amen. and out of a sense of brother brotherhood of man. Beautiful. Yeah? Okay. Jump a little bit. Keeping an eye on the clock. Okay. And it is this process that brings assurance to them. He, you see, what Jesus is doing is patiently replacing in their minds, in their thinking, the lies that have been sown there by the enemy with the truth of the gospel. Amen. Yeah? He's helping them to know what it means to be transformed by the renewing of their mind. This is an example of this actually happening in scripture. Yeah? And he wants them to live out of a complete assurance of what the cross and the resurrection is going to mean for them. It's going to mean an, a banishment of discouragement. It's an end to depression. There's no more um, uh, disillusionment, if you like. Those days, you don't need to live in that place anymore, he's saying, because, look, the whole of the Old Testament is pointing to the fact that actually I am going to bring life to you and nothing is going to get in the way of that actually happening. He wants them to know that because of the cross and because of the resurrection above all, they have been brought out of darkness, out of the darkness of the 3D darkness, if you like, of disillusionment, discouragement and depression and into the marvellous light which is ours because of Jesus. We've been born again to a new and living hope through trusting in him and he wants them to know the reality of that. And it's later on we know from the story that the two disciples would reflect on the effect of this dialogue with Jesus and what it's had on them. And they say to one another, did not our hearts burn within us as we heard him, as he talked to us on the road? And, and this, is that, this is the transformation that goes on in them as they begin to realise what truth, what the truth of, of what Jesus has accomplished for them. And they're so moved that they invite, at this point, the still unrecognised stranger into their home for a meal with them. Jesus is still not letting on who he actually is. And it says, so they drew near, drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if they were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, 
for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. And so he goes in to stay with them. And then it is that Jesus finally reveals to them who it is he is. And he's revealed to them, it says, through the breaking of bread. Now, for years when I kind of... My understanding of this story is that the breaking of bread being a reenactment of the Last Supper, causes them to realise that this must be Jesus. It's only recently that I've come to realise that that can't possibly be the case. Can't possibly be the case. Why? Because Cleopas, and quite likely this other disciple, wouldn't have been in the upper room at the time of the Last Supper. They wouldn't have been partakers of it. They wouldn't have been witnesses of it. Yeah? So when it says Jesus is revealed to them in the breaking of bread, it's not the reenactment, it's that as he breaks the bread, what they see is the holes in his hands that have been caused by the nails which nailed him to the cross. And it's seeing the nail prints in his hands that that finally causes them to realise that this man who is with them, breaking bread with them, is Jesus, is the one who was dead and is now alive. The one who the women did actually, what they said was, was truthful, was real. He was risen. They couldn't find him, but he was risen, just as the angels had explained to them. must have been a staggering moment of revelation. You know, I, when, I, when I go to be with the Lord, when I go to heaven, Right near the top of my list of people to talk to. It's not Moses, yeah? Okay? It's not Peter, alright? It's not Paul, it's Cleopas. I'm going to have work with him. What was it like when you realised that it was Jesus who was the one who was in front of you, breaking the bread? What was that like? What was that moment? What did it mean for you that moment? I'm sure he'd say something that would go far beyond my current understanding of it. Yeah? But it must have been as if a huge weight was suddenly lifted off his shoulder. As if the darkness that he felt he had been plunged into and was surrounded by was completely banished by somebody flicking on the switch of a light and the light was just so brilliant it was dazzling. It was the lifting off of depression entirely from him. It was hope flooding into his life. It was a realisation, I got it wrong, I didn't understand what it was all about. Yeah. It was a moment for him of rebirth. Yeah, how many of you remember the moment you suddenly realised and you what Jesus was about and you trusted in him? This was the moment of rebirth for him, I'm sure. This was the moment when he suddenly came alive. This was the moment when he realised who he was. Yeah, uh, for him it must have been it must have been a staggering, staggering moment, and it's the moment when he realizes that actually what he's heard the disciples say that Jesus had told them before he went to the cross when he promised, "Lo, I'm going to be with you always," was true. He is going to be with us always. We thought we'd lost him, but here he is with us, and now we know he's always is. He always is going to be with us. Yeah? Extraordinary. When we realise that Jesus is always going to be with us, 
when we come to that point of revelation, it is, let me tell you, it is a life-transforming moment. That is the realisation. When you know that, then you can face anything that the enemy throws at you. Then you can face any circumstance in life, yeah? Okay, and Jesus isn't just going to be with them in terms of walking along the road, as he was with the disciples. At this point, he's not even resurrected. He's not even ascended, is he? Yeah, but once he is ascended, he's actually able not just to be with two disciples on the road at one minute, and then up in the upper room with the other disciples the next minute. He's still geographically limited in terms of where he can be, but once he's ascended into heaven and has sent forth his Holy Spirit to be with us as his people, he can be everywhere at the same time and always with all of us, whatever situation we're in, wherever we are on the face of the planet, whatever is happening to us. Amen. 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 Lord, help us to help us. Father, just help us to live out of the knowledge of that. Mm. Father, just deliver us from building walls and running off and hiding away because of the things that have happened that the enemy throws at us that trip us up and that cause us to stop being who you've made us to be, which is the sons and daughters of the living God. Yeah? No wonder they said, did not our hearts burn within us? Mm. Yeah? And then it is, even though it's night time, Jesus has gone on from them at this point. Even though it's the middle of the night, they cannot contain the realisation that has come to them. This amazing truth. This reality that they are indeed kind of the sons and daughters of the living God who now is going to be with them forever. And they rushed to Jerusalem. They got to go and tell somebody else, yeah? It's when we receive revelation of who Jesus is and the fact that he's with us and he's for us and he'll never leave us and he'll always be with us and he'll fill us with the Spirit. He'll be with us all the time. That's When we get hold of that and we live out of the reality of that, there's no containing us. And we've got to get out there to tell the other people that we know, look, look what I found. Jesus, he's alive. He's with me, I know him. Amen. He's never going to leave me. I don't care what happens to me. Yeah? And so they go and they tell, they tell the others. They go to Jerusalem and they, they appear to the other disciples in order to, to tell them of the reality of what they've experienced. Knowing the withness of God with us helps us to be witnesses to the truth of who he is. The witness of God, God with us. He's pursuing of us by his spirit to bring us into that sense of the knowledge of who he is and what he's done for us. And that through the cross he has triumphed over all the works of the enemy, over sin, over Satan, over death, over everything that would separate us from the knowledge of the love of God that is in him. By his spirit, he is with us. Amen. I've actually got to the end of my notes. This is, this is a miracle. <laughs> I've still got four minutes on the clock. That has never, ever happened before. <laughs> The age of miracles is not dead. 
I just feel it would be great if we could just invite you know Jesus is pursuing us today he wants us to be assured of his love and that he'll always be with us yeah and I know that there's some of you here I've kind of referred to it already there's some of you here and you've got people on your hearts who once knew the love of God intimately but you know or that they were being drawn by God into a place where they knew him and stuff has happened in their lives and they've backed off big time. And they don't even like talking to you about it anymore. Yeah? And they've put up the shutters, they've hidden behind the walls. Yeah? But he has begun a good work in them. We'll see it's a completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And he's the lion. And he's roaring. And he's out to get those who he has set his heart upon to come to know him. And there are some of you kind of who yourselves struggle with disappointment as a result of not seeing progress in the situations of some of those people. And God wants to reassure you. And God wants to fill you with faith. And God wants to, God wants to come and, and, and encourage you. Put, encourage means to put courage in you. And the Holy Spirit is the one who encourages by putting courage into us. Amen. And he wants to encourage you by his spirit this morning, if that is you. Mm-hmm. Some of you yourselves might have been disappointed or, dis- or hurt or dis- discouraged by stuff that's happened in your own lives. And you yourselves have just pulled back a little bit from intimacy with him. And in the worship time, kind of, you couldn't quite enter into what was going on because, you know, you've got your, you've got your shield of defence up a little bit because you're not too sure you can trust what's going on here. God wants to show you you can completely trust him. And he wants to come and just take that shield off and enable you just to open your arms up to him again and receive him and his love and know that he's for you and know that he will always be with you and know and know that and for you to know that nothing 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 is ever going to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Yeah. And some of you just want to know him more. Some of you just want, I just want to know him more. I just want a deeper level of intimacy in him. Yeah, he's here this morning. He's pursuing us and he wants us to know him. He wants us to come to that place of wholeheartedly living in the light of his love and uh, being transformed by that so that we are carriers of that light and that love. And, uh, and becoming witnesses to the truth of it to others as well, so that we actually become the people that he has always intended us to be. Those who are genuinely his sons and daughters are those who totally transform the situations that they're in and shift atmospheres and change things because God, by his Spirit, is dwelling in us. Let's not put up barriers to that. Let's say we want more of you, Lord. You know, so that you can use us in the way that you always intended to be. Because we want you to be released here in this place, in Plumstead, in South East 18, as the Lion of Judah. Amen. The Lion of Judah, who's going to get everybody who belongs to him. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Amen. Oh.